This is Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN 927's digital channel Carnival. I'm Peter Holden and welcome to the Women's Australian Rules Football Podcast on RSN 927's digital radio channel in Melbourne Carnival via rsn.net.au and via the RSN Racing and Sport app. The program is also available via Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Spotify, the iHeartRadio website and app and warfradio.com. Coming up on this week's show, we chat with Collingwood AFLW footballer Emma Grant about her decision to retire and we also catch up with GB Swans head coach Ian Mitchell. But first, the latest women's footy news. We'll head overseas first and AFL Europe has announced that the Euro Cup scheduled to take place on the 6th of June will be officially postponed to take place later in 2020 due to the COVID-19 situation. Due to a lack of field and venue availability in Stirling, Scotland in the second half of the year, AFL Europe will be sourcing an alternative location for the rescheduled 2020 event. And given this, uh, AFL Scotland has been automatically granted the rights to host the Euro Cup in the summer of 2021. To the AFLW, another retirement to add to the list. 36-year-old Jess Foley will retire from the game after two seasons, including the 2019 Premiership. She joins the likes of Emma Grant, Melissa Hickey, Laura Bailey, Lauren Tessariaro, Emma Mackey and Nicole Cullinan to retire at the end of this shortened 2020 season. And the AFL Players Association have announced the initial squad for their best 22 under 22. The official 22 will be announced on April 21st, but the current squad looks like this. Defenders, Malloy, Allen, Newton, Dowrick, Wilson, Huntington, Birch and Grierson. From the midfielders, Parker, Presparkas, Patricius, Marinoff, Purcell, Zanka, Morrison, Hatchard, Conti, Yorston, Egan, Hanks and G. For the forwards, Duffy, Howworth, Wardlaw, Ponta, Conway, Greiser, Jones and Rue. And for the Rucks, McKinnon and Bala. Again, the best 22 under 22 will be announced on the 21st of April and fans can vote at the AFLPA website. And to our featured guest for this week on the Women's Australian Rules Football Podcast here on RSN Carnival, we last spoke with her on the program five years ago in 2015, then playing for the Bendigo Thunder. And boy, would there be a lot more to add to her football resume from that point forward. She's just announced last week her retirement from playing in the AFLW, but that's not the end of her footballing story. It's great to have on the line Emma Grant. Emma, how are you? Hey, I'm good. How are you? How's the um, quote-unquote retirement life? Yeah, look, it's, um, it's obviously pretty new and um, obviously with the, with the season of AFRW finishing pretty early, obviously it's, yeah, it's all come to a, to a uh, big halt. But look, um, retirement life is, is, is great. Um, it's really nice just to get out and go for a run and go for a bike ride and not have to have the regiment of training every second night. But um Obviously, when uh, the next season kicks off, I'll be definitely pretty, pretty sad. But, um, yeah, really happy with my decision. And, um, you know, I've had a really fantastic footy career and um, I'm really, really grateful for, for everything that I've achieved. We'll touch on all things retirement a little bit later on, but let's go back a bit. We'll cover some ground that we spoke about in 2015, particularly for our uh, new listeners. But, of course, you actually started playing footy from the age of seven back in your hometown of Gisborne. 
Yeah, I did. I played with the boys. So I was the only girl running around for the uh, Gisborne Rookies Junior Footy Club. My brother was only uh, 14 months older than me, so I did everything he did and took a little bit of uh, negotiations with Dad, but I finally got him over the line to play to play footy. And um, you know, obviously, loved my time playing with the boys. And um, obviously, yeah, when I got when I turned 12, there was no pathway back then. So that was that was it for 10 years before I took it up again. So, yeah. In between that, you played netball. In fact, you even played one year of netball during what I call your senior years, I think around about 2014 in Echuca. Actually, what were you like as a netballer and what were you like in other sports in general? Yeah, obviously, so when I had to uh, hang up the boots at 12, I had to obviously partake in something else and netball was my probably my second love. So I played netball for a very long time and absolutely loved it, but it just didn't give me what uh, what footy did. But yeah, really enjoyed um, the game of netball, obviously um, making friendships and whatnot. But uh, I guess I played, uh, I was a mid-quarter in netball, um, played for Gisborne in the in the Bendigo League. And then when uh, I moved to Echuca for a couple of years, I played for the Bombers in the GV League. So I always found myself at training though in Echuca, looking at the boys training. And that's when I thought I better get back to footy. So the good old Echuca Murray Bombers and uh, one of the very few Bombers sides not to wear red and black. They actually wear green and white. So let's talk about uh, another red and black side, Latrobe University. I believe this is where you start taking up senior women's football again as part of the university games. Correct, yeah. I was at um, Latrobe Bendigo studying PE and Outdoor Ed and they started a um, women's footy team for the, for the Southern Uni games there and obviously... Um, a couple of friends were, were getting involved and they said, you should come along and thought, why not? I was obviously just moved to Bendigo and wanted to get to know a few more people. And yeah, we obviously participated in the university games there. And it was from that that actually um, the Bendigo Thunder was formed. And actually in that in that university team was um, Ange Foley, um, who's obviously an Adelaide Crows AFLW player now. So um, yeah, pretty crazy. I remember seeing a team sheet from uh, that game, uh, including the signed captain of uh, an opponent you took on against RMIT, being now uh, assistant coach at North Melbourne, Tasmania, uh, Lauren Moorcroft. There you go. So back then, obviously, I had no idea who these people are, but it'd be amazing to go back and have a look at people you played back then. Yeah, obviously, there'll be a few AFLW players running around up there. We'll mention those names in a few moments' time. But as you said, out of the uni game saw the creation of Bendigo Thunder. You're one of the founding members. Can can you talk us through what it's like? Now, this is all pre-AFLW and everyone jumping on board. What's like back then in 2011 trying to start not only women's footy side from scratch, but also in country Victoria? Yeah, pretty tough. I mean, you know, I was really lucky just to sort of walk in, train and play. Obviously, there was a lot of work um, going on behind the scenes. Um, Bianca Rinaldi from Bendigo was a driving force in, in getting grants and um, finding a footy oval. Obviously, no one wanted to give up their bit of grass. And so, you know, we're obviously training on back ovals and, you know, no club rooms or anything like that. But, you know, we, we developed an amazing uh, culture and an amazing um, team up there at Bendigo and obviously had a bit of success Um early on there but you know as I said you know tough times at the start um, the Bendigo community were actually really really fantastic in getting around the women's sport um, and you know you look back now that the amount of AFLW players that have come out of the Bendigo Thunder it's you know pretty crazy. I recall seeing a double page spread in the uh, Bendigo uh, advertiser celebrating I think your 2013 victory uh, if I'm correct I think 2013 Northwest Division 1 was the year you went through premiers and champions. Yeah, correct. And as I said, the Bendigo community got around us. Bendigo advertiser were fantastic. And that's obviously, obviously helped in bringing girls 
down and obviously the community getting around us. Um, so, yeah, pretty thankful for the Bendigo community for their support. I want to touch on those two grand finals, 2012 and 2013, back to back for Bendigo in Northwest and then Northwest Division One. Uh, in 2012, you defeated La Trobe University, ironically, uh, five six thirty six to three three twenty one. Best on ground for the Thunder was Ange Foley, who you mentioned about. Of course, he went to go play for the Adelaide Crows. Haley Trevine, who went to go play with Geelong, was also named in that side. Richmond VFLW captain Jess Kennedy also in your. Uh, inaugural premiership of 2012 yeah just crazy to to you know to see those girls obviously flourish after Bendigo Thunder days but I know that all all of us are you know are very thankful for those um you know the Bendigo Thunder team starting and obviously that's where that's where we made our craft and that's where it all started for us the 2013 grand final which you beat North Geelong 7648-4327 also included a Opponents that would go on to play in the AFLW, including the uh, top two best on ground for uh, the Magpies. Matty Boyd, who of course is now playing at Geelong AFLW, and Phoebe Monaghan playing with Richmond AFLW. Well, there you go. I didn't know Phoebe Monaghan played. Obviously, knew Matty Boyd played, um, and obviously, we obviously played um, against Rocky Cranston, in, who played for North Ballarat back in those days, um, of Caitlin Ashmore as well. So, I didn't realise Phoebe Monaghan played, so you learn something new every day, Peter. <laughs> Maybe you did such a good job that you didn't notice her. <laughs> Put it that way. But <laughs> is it crazy when you when you look back at that for a moment? Because oh, we asked the question, when you start playing in 2011, and even then you're winning premierships in 2012-13, what were your expectations out of football? Yeah, obviously obviously nothing, nothing great. It was just about um, staying fit, meeting people, and, and playing the game that we obviously loved. Um, obviously, there was no no big competition. There was no exhibition games. There was nothing major. Obviously, probably the biggest thing you know that I that I was probably started to look at was was representing Victoria in those national championships that were that were happening. But again, a country kid from Bendigo, good luck trying to you know to try to match it with those Metro girls. So at that point in time, there was there was no big aspirations. Um, it was just about running around, playing the game you love and, yeah, creating um, great friendships and relationships. You talk about representative football. I've got a quirky stat for you. You're the only player to play in the uh, Anzac Cup clashes on both teams. You represented Victoria <laughs> in 2012, the VWFL, and then you represented the ADF in 2013. Can you tell us a little about that? Yeah, obviously. So 2012, I, I was selected as part of that All Stars All Stars team, and, and the following year, um, so actually the ADF was struggling for numbers, and Jess Smith contacted me and said, "Any chance you want to pull on the boots um, in a couple of days' time and represent the ADF?" And um, obviously, I hadn't participate in any army or navy or anything like that and Sheree O'Neill obviously a good friend of mine from Bendigo um, was representing the ADF and you know I thought well why not it's a game of footy you know it's a it's a, it's a great game of footy obviously um, you know with really big reason behind it but also pretty good standard back then so um, yeah bit of a quirky stat um, probably not quite uh, not quite deserving of the ADF um, jersey but I but I definitely have that at home and I, and I have it with pride. And uh, if those who can find the photo online, you'll see a uh, ADF uh, circle, um, players singing the song. You're in there with the red ribbon in the hair, including with your ring-ins, looking at the mobile phone for the lyrics to the ADF theme song. 
That's exactly right. I have no idea. And another quirky stat for our listeners as well, maybe a little bit selfish, is that was the first game of women's football I ever called at La Trobe University that night under lights. Hey, there you go. So, tw- so twenty fourteen, obviously, you spent a year of football in Echuca, um, only the one or two games for the Thunder, who had a tough year playing in the Premier Division then. They weren't quite ready to take that step up. A few players were missing. Um, what was it like coming back to the club in, in 2015? Yeah, it was a really tough year. Obviously, there was uh, um, girls weren't playing for a whole host of reasons. We knew we weren't going to be nearly as strong. Um, you know, pregnancies, um, JK had done her ACL, um, I'd moved to Echuca. So it was really unfortunate for the for the girls who obviously did continue to play. Um, and yeah, as I said, the year off actually did me wonders. Uh, it had me you know, play a different sport, meet new people, but also, you know, really have that um, thirst for footy again. So when we came back, um, obviously a few of the girls who I mentioned came back as well. And, um, you know, it was, it was a really good time to, to get back at the fun, to be back at Bendigo, back in the Thunder and, you know, trying to, you know, continue that um, culture that we'd already developed and to try and get, yeah, new girls playing the game that they love. Talking about meeting new people, your wife, Leah, who you've played alongside at, Bendigo and uh, in a way at Collingwood, she was on the VFLW list. Did you actually meet through football or before football? We actually met before football through Angela Foley. So um, Leah and Angela used to live together and it was through that, those times at uni games that I actually met Leah. So yeah, obviously small world, but um, yeah, a little while ago now, over nearly 10 years ago. <laughs> yeah, you're making yourself sound like an old couple now. <laughs> Feels a little bit like that, actually. Well, let's talk about 2015 because it was a big year for women's football. Uh, in August, it's when Gil McLaughlin announced that there was going to be an AFLW to be formed to kick off in 2017, about three years earlier than expected. It was originally anticipated for 2020. What thoughts are going through your head then in 2015 about making the AFLW? Yeah, look, initially when he said 2020, I knew I was going to be about 30 years old and I thought oh, that might, you know, test the limits a little bit. But as soon as he brought it forward to 2017, I thought I might be in for a, with a bit of a chance here. So um, obviously, you know, different opportunities came up um, and, you know, I just had to take them. And, you know, as much as, you know, at times it was tough driving from Bendigo to Melbourne to partake in some of these training sessions and opportunities, um, I definitely, you know, wouldn't wouldn't change anything for the world because you know every little opportunity that I was able to to take um, got me to where I am today. Even before we talk about the VFLW Academy, once that announcement is made about the AFLW will start, how did that change your mindset and your training load that you were taking upon yourself for when you were first kicking off in 2011? Yeah, I was probably lucky to have some some pretty like-minded people around me that were pretty keen to see where their footy um, took them as well. So, you know, we'll we'll take it upon ourselves to, you know, have um, extra training sessions, um, trying to get fitter, trying to eat a little bit better. I mean, by no means was I an elite athlete at that point in time. But, um, yeah, I think just that that little carrot that um, Gil was dangling um, helped us to, you know, have inspiration and have a goal that, you know, potentially we could get there. When did the invitation come to join the VWFL Academy? It's actually a pretty funny story as well. Leah got, Leah got an email and I didn't get an email. So it was quite quite funny. She got a letter in the inbox from Darren Flanagan about this um, academy and I said, well, I didn't get one. It's, it's pretty shattering. And anyway, I ended up, he, he sent it to my, he sent it to an email that 
didn't exist anymore. Cause I, so after um, she'd gone to the first training session, he sort of said, oh, where's Emma? And she's like, oh, she didn't get an invite. So, yeah, I mean, that was a fantastic time heading down to the academy. Obviously, we had a, we had a carload of girls from Bendigo. I had no idea who all these other girls were from the Metro um, teams playing in the Premier League and we were just little fish in a big sea but you know obviously took everything um, you know on board that they were telling us obviously had lots and lots to improve on got given a, a brand new footy to start with which I thought was awesome so all of a sudden we had a brand new footy that we could actually kick around and use and train with um, and you know we obviously met some amazing talented coaches at the time and obviously some really really amazing players that you know come up, become lifelong friends. Can you talk about the training load of the VWFL Academy? How often were you training? Because you had to go through the summer, and I remember seeing a number of scratch matches for the VFLW Academy amongst themselves, and including a game against the NT Thunder in 2016. Uh, how much did that increase uh, what you had to physically do each week to get yourself up to the next level? Yeah, look, I, I remember a handful of training sessions. It definitely wasn't every week. Um, I reckon it was, you know, fortnightly, if not monthly, but they gave us um, training plans to to go away with. So different running plans, different gym plans. Like I'd never been in a gym in my life um, before the academy and, um, you know, I didn't, I'd never squatted. So, you know, I was being, I was, you know, learning lots and lots of new things, um, you know, running a lot more than than I'd ever run before and obviously touching the footy a lot more than I'd um, ever done before so you know it was you know some fantastic programs that were helping to set us up for, for what was to come. How were those long days because being a teacher at the same time a lot of the teaching is not just in the classroom it's all about the prep work that you do um, after hours um, how late were those nights? Yeah absolutely um, some of those nights were super late and that's why it was great to have a bunch of us that we could you know alternate the driving and if someone had some study or school work to do they could do but you know, it's that classic, you know, what are your priorities? Um, obviously, that was a pretty big priority in, in my life at the time. And as I said, it wasn't three or four times a week down to Melbourne at that point in time. It was a couple of times a month. Um, and the rest of the training we could do back in Bendigo. So at that point, it, was, it wasn't too hectic. You mentioned about getting a new football. It was sometime in 2016 they made the decision for AFLW that the ball would actually shrink in size from a 4.5 to a size 4 football. What did you notice as a player with that smaller ball and how to handle it and how to judge it in flight? Yeah, I guess I could just hold it that little bit better. Um, I've got pretty small hands and I still struggle to sort of hold it in that one hand. I love it. I can see Jazzy Garner just pick up a ball with one hand and just hold it in one hand. I, I struggle with that, but definitely the, from the 4.5 to the 4, I, I, I feel that it's a, I've got a much better grip on it. Um, otherwise, like the flight and all that stuff, and I, and I have read that, Plenty of girls, you know, have found it a little bit difficult and a bit of a change. But for me, um, you know, not a whole lot has changed. Just the fact that I could, I could actually handle it a little bit better. 2016, it's the year before the AFLW kicks off. This is the year everyone's really got to impress before um, the draft comes around. For yourself, you win the VWFL Best and Fairest, 10 votes clear of any other competitor. Um, the last person to win the Helen Lambert medal before it was renamed and the last ever Helen Lambert medal given for the VWFL before it eventually folded. What did it mean to you to take home the competition Best and Fairest? Yeah, obviously it's that classic. You don't play for individual accolades, and I and I went along to that night having no absolutely no idea that I was I was about to be named that. But you know, obviously the the history of that medal is 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 
significant and huge and for Daisy to present it to me. Um, but, you know, obviously, as you said, it was a really big lead up. The, the draft wasn't that far away. Um, and, you know, it was, it was, it, you know, it was a, it was a fantastic year of footy. Obviously, if we didn't get the, we didn't get the chocolates um, at the end, so you know, obviously, we'd give that back in a heartbeat to get that premiership. But um, you know, to have that, you know, that's a pretty uh, special place in my heart, and, and that little medal, um, yeah, is um, extremely valued. And um, you know, I think that um, it's got a lot of history, and you know, I look forward to seeing. Um, obviously, it's being renamed now, but um, yeah, just yeah, pretty pretty amazing night that one. As you said, it was tough because you went through the year undefeated until you got to the grand final when you fell to uh, Deer Park in that game, 43-30. to 30. We are talking earlier about players that played for Bendigo. In that grand final, another couple of names that would make an impression at AFLW level, including Sarah Last and uh, Rennie Hicks, who would both be on the Carlton list, and also Isabella Eyre, who, of course, would spend some time up at the Lions. Correct, yeah. So, you know, again, our little our little... Um, Bendigo Thunder was becoming bigger and bigger and if you even if you look now you see the likes of Cody Jarks and, and Grace Campbell at Richmond both ex Bendigo Thunder ex Bendigo Thunder girls so yeah really really proud of obviously the country girls and where we've uh, come from and where they are now but um, as I said yeah that was a really um, devastating loss uh, credit to Deer Park and to Shan McFerrin for um, you know had going in with the game plan and absolutely nailing it and we had um, we had no big answers for that one so we're counting down to that draft. Were there any phone calls made by the clubs to you to gauge your interest or to try and say, look, we're considering taking you uh, for our AFLW list? Yeah, I had a couple of interviews, a couple of phone calls. Um, was was told to that you're going to be drafted and, and not to worry. And, you know, obviously you've always got that in the back of your mind, but what if I don't sort of thing? So, you know, it was a really it was a ner- nervous time, Um I was able to actually leave school early and go and watch it with um, Jess Kennedy um, at home. And yeah, obviously Isabella was Isabella Air was there, and she actually texted me when my um, when my name got called out. And obviously it was a delay in the in the telecast, so um, I just got a text saying Collingwood, New Beauty, and I had no idea what she was talking about. The next minute, um, number you know ninety one immigrant Collingwood. So yeah, it was a fantastic moment. Um, even better was that obviously Jess Kennedy then ended up. Um, getting the phone call from Carlton saying if you don't get um, taken in this draft, we're going to sign your free agent if if, you, if you'll do that. So, you know, and the fact that ended up five girls um, from Bendigo being signed to AFLW clubs was was a pretty amazing thing. Obviously, four of them went to Carlton, and I got in the car with Leah and drove down to the Holden Centre to the to the Arch Rivals in Collingwood. So that was a a little bit disappointing at the time, but um, obviously, yeah, an, an amazing moment, and I, and I you know I won't forget that in a hurry. When is it? the moment that hits you when uh, is it just walking through the doors for training at the first time at Collingwood receiving a call from the coach when does it hit you that oh my god I'm playing for the Collingwood Football Club yeah obviously that night we headed down there and the first person I saw was Mo and she gave me a big hug and she went to give Leah a hug and Leah was like oh I'm not a player so that was that was quite funny but um you know like Obviously that night Eddie was Eddie McGuire was in Europe, so he did a bit of a FaceTime to us and you know welcomed us and said you know we're part of the family now and you know, obviously just walking through the Holden Centre, you know the amazing facilities that are there. Um, I sort of pinched myself every time I went there and I tried to take nothing for granted and you know the, the four years that I obviously had there were absolutely um, tremendous. But to 
you know, that actual moment of being drafted and, and you know, not knowing sort of what the next sort of four years would look like, but just excited and, um, you know, knew that I'd obviously worked pretty hard, but that there was a whole lot of hard work to, to come. So, Before we talk about the year 2017, there's one little more thing I've got to mention about 2016. Now, despite you playing for Collingwood, you actually grew up a Western Bulldogs fan. Where were you Correct. on grand final day 2016? Level one, forward pockets. Uh, I was, yeah, super lucky enough that my dad was able to get a hold of a couple of tickets. Obviously, the whole family is diehard doggies. Um, pretty shattered enough to go to the doggies in AFLW, but that's okay. Can't, beggars can't be choosers. Um, but, yeah, obviously, I was really super lucky to, to head to the, the grand final and watch our beloved doggies um, win, win the premiership. So it's, it's really hard. We always do a highlight and a low light for the year with my dad. And, you know, it was like getting drafted or Bulldogs, Bulldogs winning the premiership. It was really hard to choose. Of course, the Liam Pickett mark, the goal, which I think uh, the Western Bulldogs yeah. should tweet every day where everyone's jumping up behind the goals. Were there yeah. tears? Oh, yeah, there was. There was. And it was just, oh, it's, you know, I can't really describe the feeling um, to be there with the family and, you know, to see it happen live was just absolutely amazing. I'll mention one more thing about the Western Bulldogs. In that year, 2016, you also played against them for Melbourne in the exhibition games. I did. I did. I played for Melbourne uh, against the Bulldogs and then against the Brisbane Lions, actually. So, once again, why couldn't the doggies choose me? But that's okay. I'll, I'll take it. <laughs> Let's move on to 2017. Obviously, you're ramping up for that uh, first game. Um, it's a difficult question. Normally, we ask people, what are memories of that game? But for you, if I'm correct, you actually suffered con- a concussion in that game. Um, I think Bree Davey accidentally hit you and um, you had to go off the ground. So is there a bittersweet feeling about that that game one? Oh, definitely not. Like, it was just the most amazing um, thing to run out in front of that 25,000, the lockout. Everything about it clearly it would have been nice to a get the win, but b finish the game. But it was just so much bigger than the game that night. Um, you know, the concussion—I've still got memories of it, which is thank God. I'm glad the concussion didn't wipe away the memories. But um, yeah, as I said, it was just so much bigger than the game. To, to you know, have family, friends, students in the um, in the crowd, um, but just to see the little boys and little girls in the crowd um, that that night will stay with me forever. And um, yeah, it's pretty hard to top that night. After that night, how do the students treat you differently at school? Is it all of a sudden they want autographs? Is it all of a sudden the kids are paying a bit more attention to you because it's, oh, it's it's, it's Mrs. Grant, famous footballer? Yeah, no, nah, they're, they're uh, same old, same old kids, but, they you know, they, they love it when, you know, I'll bring them a poster or anything like that. And, oh, we saw you on the TV or we're going to come down and watch next weekend. You know, it's um, yeah, it's fantastic, and the parents just love that. You know, the, the kids enjoy it, and you know, have a role model. You know, that they actually um, know um, and can and can chat to, and yeah, obviously, um, it's great to to. I remember at school the day I got drafted when I when I came back to school, they played the um, Collingwood theme song over the over the um, PA. So little things like that is is quite cute, and there's nothing better than seeing one of the students in the crowd cheering you on. Pretty handy first year for you as well, finishing fourth in the Collingwood Best and Fairest. Yeah, obviously um, my biggest aim was just to play as many games as I could and I remember having a conversation with Wayne um, 
pretty early on just saying, you know, that I, I wasn't here to make up numbers and I wasn't going to be, um, you know, travelling from Bendigo if I wasn't good enough and just to let me know what, you know, give me that feedback. And he said, Granny, just relax. You're going to, you're going to, you're, you know, you're so versatile. You don't have to worry about not getting picked. So that was uh, that made me feel a bit, little bit better. But you know, I, for me, you know, it's always been just about playing the role. I've never obviously been a star player, but I've, you know, I, I'd like to think that I've done what the um, the coach and the team have asked of me um, every game, every game that I put on the black and white. It's a good question to ask. How tough is it being a utility footballer? I asked uh, this question last year to Louise Stevenson, who, uh, went, particularly when she played at Melbourne University, was always thrown around all over the place, including the first couple of years at GWS. And I mentioned good player who didn't seem to dominate because you didn't have a particular role. And as we saw uh, Richmond VFLW last year, which she played a couple of games, and now this year for the Giants, she's dominated because she's now been settled in a permanent role in the back half. How difficult is it for someone like you where your role is constantly changing? Yeah, I think I think you can look at it like that or you can look at it as the fact that, you know, that versatility is, 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 is allowing you to play each week and that the coach is, um, you know, going to throw you where they need you rather than, you know, to have be penciled into one position. I think at times, yeah, you wanted to, you know, you're training with the backs and the next week you're training with the mids and the following week you're training with the forwards. And that can sometimes, you know, you know, some people can't can't quite learn like that. But for me, it was just about being open-minded and, and, and just doing the job that they were asking you, you to do. I mean, ideally, um, you know, you, you, can, you can play all three, all, all three areas of the ground. And I think that's what makes, um, you know, some people, you know, stay longer in the game because if you, if you can't play in every position, then it makes it tough when, you know, it comes to selection and that sort of stuff. So for me, it was just about, you just, Wayne, you tell me what I need to do and, and I'll do it wherever you need me. So, um, you know, as much as that can be be hard, it's also for me that that was the way I – that's just the way I knew and that's the way that um, I knew I was going to be playing footy. Can you talk about how the different mindset is to approaching the second season, the 2018 season, compared to the first season? And that's leaving aside all the excitement of this is year one, but from the aspect of, okay, you've played every team once, so you kind of have an idea what the game plan is compared to, I guess, 2017, where you're flying a little bit in the dark. Yeah, and I think we obviously we obviously tweaked our game plan and, and tried to put some things into place that obviously, in the end, didn't quite match up. But um, you know, I think the the it's still super exciting. We're still, I think, even now, girls, you know, the girls that are still playing, um, and even the coaching um, staff and the and the department are still just eager and excited about it all. And I think that's great because as soon as you lose that, then it's um, you know it becomes a little bit monotonous, I guess. But you know, I think um, yeah, the 20, 2018 season again wasn't you know didn't go to plan, but. You know, we can t- definitely take some positives out of it and, um, you know, look at, you know, some of the things that we did do really well and that we weren't that far off. 2019 was a, a bit of a surreal season because everything was broken up. It was conferences for the first time. As much as Collingwood were back because you were near the bottom end of uh, your conference, we actually had a look at the numbers and we realised that if you'd actually beaten Geelong in that first game by 10 mm-hmm. points you would have actually made second spot and qualified for finals. That's how the quirk of things were. Yeah, um, yeah. What do you take out of that 2019 year when the, the wins obviously aren't there for you in the numbers that you want, but you're not yeah. playing awful football? No, that's exactly right. And I think, yeah, you look at that 
round one game against Shillong and we were oh so close and then, you know, we went on to, to lose a couple more games by under a kick. So, you know, again, we're just, we're so close, but just not quite there. And I think, you know, winning that first game against Shillong changes your whole season. That's what happens in these, in these short seasons and in these conferences is that, you know, you just need a little bit of luck to go your way. And unfortunately, that did, just didn't happen for us um, in 2019. We still had, our list was still, you know, good enough to, to, and our best footy was still good enough. Unfortunately, we just couldn't put it together. And, you know, obviously that last game against Brisbane when we did get the chocolates, it sort of, sort of showed what we were capable of and what we were going to be doing in 2020. So, um, yeah, as much as the win losses obviously didn't look great, as I said, a, a couple of, you know, games went so close. Um, and if, you know, a little bit of a luck, luck went our way, we would be, um, it'd be a different picture. How hard is it to try and gel a, a team together over those uh, first few years of the competition? Bar Nicholas Stevens going to Carlton and Alicia Eva going to GWS. For 2019 season and the 2020 season, the lists were all being thrown up in the air because obviously we had expansion. How hard is it to form that nucleus when so many players, essentially by rule, have to be lost? Yeah, obviously, you know, 2018 to 2019, we, we lost a, a whole number of players to expansion and then again obviously in 2020 um it's tough i mean we you know we've i think we've got seven i think seven girls for 2020 from our core from 2017 you know that's that's not many compared to say uh, melbourne who i think have got 12 or 13 so um i think you know the the girls who come in um you know obviously bring a lot of energy and um different ideas and it's about you know trying to as much as possible to just spend time together and, and I think as much as we can to spend time outside of footy just to get to know each other like you can get to know each other on the track um, pretty well because we spend a fair bit of time there but I think trying to trying to yeah develop a culture outside of the game and, and what what makes everyone tick and what people do outside of football is really important so it's, it's definitely challenging especially with everyone having to work or study or something outside of footy and obviously footy um, takes us a whole lot of time as well so um it's it's it, that's obviously one of the big challenges, and I think whoever goes on and has success, they're obviously the ones who are doing this part right. In the winter of 2019, without knowing it, you're actually being prepared for retirement because you were sitting on the VFLW sidelines with injury. Uh, can you tell us what you were doing in the behind the scenes role with the VFLW team? Yeah, so obviously the last 12 months I've actually played one quarter of footy. So it's a little bit crazy when you look at it like that. So I had a couple of um, ankle surgeries and a, and a shoulder surgery and obviously just my rehab, trying to trying to get my body right to, to hit a 2020 AFLW season. But as much as I could, I just stayed involved with the girls. Um, obviously I had my own rehab program to complete. Um, so I usually did that on the training nights when, when they were out on the track and so you know, I'd head down to Vic Park or down to the Holden Centre and just, you know, show face and, um, you know, just help, you know, talk with Penny, um, you know, try and help where I could. Um, I did a bit of stuff in the box with um, Lockie Harris um, and, you know, just tried to keep developing my footy knowledge but also try and help the girls as much as I could but also to have that little break as well, not to go to every single training session, every single game because, as, as you said, you know, working full time, it, it, it burns you out. So, and I wanted to be ready for the AFLW season. So, um, you know, it was a long, long rehab journey. Um, but, um, obviously the girls had, you know, great success in, in the VFL program too, which obviously, um, you know, was, was fantastic in bringing across to the 2020 AFLW season. 
You did have a little bit of coaching in there, coaching the Vic Girls uh, under-16 Metro side. Yeah, yeah. So I coached the, the country girls the year before and then um, got off of the position for the, for the Metro girls. So, um, yeah, that was fantastic in getting the underage um, NAB League girls into a program, um, you know, to play against South Australia and New South Wales. You know, it was a... Um, so we played against New South Wales and we also played against Big Country. Um, you know, these are the girls that are the future of AFLW and are, and are going to go on to play, you know, under 18 championships and then um, we'll take up the list spots in AFLW. So, you know, it's, it's really nice to give back. I obviously, as a PE teacher, I really enjoy that education side of um, and teaching side of, of footy um, and, you know, fantastic opportunity for me. Um, I'm interested to know, how hard is it to, to coach a... Uh, under-16 or under-18, what I call talent side, those that are essentially being prepared for a draft. If we look at it like club football, it's probably more a mindset of defence first because you're out there to win a game. It's team first. You're trying to build up to win the premiership. Under-16, under-18s, be nice to win the championships, but in another aspect, you're actually trying to showcase the players for them to be drafted. Yeah, exactly right. And obviously, I'm um, just been appointed the under 18 big metro team for this year, and obviously that's just been put on hold for the moment. But as you said, like it's all about what I want is for the girls to get become a better person, a better player under, under my program. And you know, if that means you know I get ten girls, you know, ten girls are drafted from the big metro program, or five girls are drafted, you know, fantastic. But I want every girl who stepped into the program to to leave in a better place as a person. Number one. And number two, as a player, and you know, obviously, the AFL are fantastic in getting these programs together, and um, you know, getting these girls in. Obviously, the, the you know the best players in our NAB league. So you know, for the last few weeks before, obviously, this uh, coronavirus stuff, I was going around to um, NAB league games and, and watching those, and, and you know, scouting and looking at the girls that you know potentially are going to come into our to the Vic Metro program and. Um, yeah, as you said, like it's, you know, obviously it'd be nice to, to win the championship, but ideally, um, you know, I'm just helping to develop these girls to what's to come. Stepping back to the 2019 VFLW season, Collingwood would win the Premiership after being minor premiers the year before. Finally, um, the icing on the cake, taking out the flag, beating the Bulldogs at Icon Park. Considering everything that had been happening that year, as we said, that the results weren't there in the AFLW, uh, Wayne Siegman's contract wasn't renewed, so there was a change of coach. How much was it, I guess, a, a relief on the pressure valve there at Collingwood of, he, it may not be AFLW, but he's a little bit of success finally for the program. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, success is such an important factor to any program. And, you know, obviously um, only a handful of AFLW girls obviously um, tasted that success. But, you know, it was a culmination of a lot of things. Obviously, Wayne had set up a fantastic program. Um, and obviously, um, as you said, his contract wasn't renewed. But then, you know, Penny developed a, you know, a really good program. Steve came in and... Um, tweaked that and, and put in his, um, you know, sort of taste of, of what he wanted to see. Um, and yeah, it was just a, it was a fantastic time to be around. The, obviously, lots of energy um, and to, you know, 
that momentum going into AFLW um, was fantastic. We're chatting with Collingwood AFLW footballer Emma Grant. Still to come, we talk through her discussion that she suffered before the start of the 2020 AFLW season, her recovery process, the decision to retire, and what's in her future. That's all still to come right here on the Women's Australian Rules Football Podcast on RSN Carnival. Been playing for a while, sweet kicks. Footy makes you smile Sweet kicks football If you're getting ready for the trials Gotta go the extra mile Sweet kicks football Not always hearing that sweet sound when you kick the ball? Need to develop your footwork or explosive speed? Want to take the next step in your footy career? then you need Sweet Kicks. More info on our Facebook page or go to our website, sweetkicksfootballacademy.com.au Gotta go the extra mile Sweet Kicks Football You're listening to the Women's Australian Rules Football Podcast on RSN 927's digital radio channel in Melbourne, Carnival. I'm Peter Holden. Thanks for your company. We're chatting with Collingwood AFLW footballer Emma Grant. Emma, we talked about 2019, the winter of how you sat on the sidelines as you recovered from surgery on your ankle and your shoulder. How was the body feeling prior to the start of the 2020 AFLW season and that fateful practice match for where you would suffer the concussion? Yeah, look, it, it finally just started to feel really good. So, um, you know, obviously I wasn't train, training fully until after Christmas, um, sort of soon that last few sessions before Christmas was when I started training fully. Um, and so then in the Christmas break, I was, you know, sort of hitting the ground running, um, feeling really, really good. Came back after Christmas, um, you know, doing every single session, match sim, and yeah, just, you know, started to get the, the bug back and re- was really looking forward to the practice matches and obviously the season to commence. And yeah, obviously it just wasn't meant to be. Um, footy had a different sort of plan for me. Um, and, you know, obviously being concussed in the start of the second quarter of the match team with uh, the practice match against North Melbourne, um, you know, I just at the time I actually felt okay. Like it was it was a clear knock to the head and, and you know, um, but actually felt okay and thought it was just, you know, my classic concussion that I've had a few of that I'd feel pretty groggy for the next few days and then I'll get better and um, it didn't quite go didn't quite go to plan. Can you talk us through that? Um, as you said, it's normally a cloudy head, but what, what do you notice different over those coming days or weeks? I mean, just sitting probably, at home, how, how you function normally? Yeah, it's probably the start was interesting in that I actually felt pretty good. And, um, you know, the next day I went to a WNBL game um, to watch a friend play for the Canberra Capitals and I felt fine, went out for dinner with friends. Um, you know, sort of the Monday rolled around and, you know, obviously we were still in school holidays at that point in time and it wasn't until the Tuesday that I actually started to feel quite crook. Um, and, you know, that was, you know, started to um, get really emotional, really irritable, the noise and, and light sensitivity sensitivity started to hit me and then you know the headaches and everything else started to come and you know by sort of the end of that week I was um I was in not a you know not a good place at all and so it was a bit of a delayed concussion in that sense but and sort of for the next three weeks I you know really really struggled I you know sometimes I couldn't lift my head off the pillow without you know the headaches sort of coming on um 
you know, really just foggy, felt super hungover, obviously hadn't, hadn't had a touch of drink for a, for a while and just felt really, really um, unwell, um, really foggy in the head, couldn't concentrate properly, you know, was, couldn't quite remember things that I was trying to do or say and sort of became a bit, um, you know, I, my mum, you know, left work to come and be with me because she was you know, really quite worried about me um, and, you know, it was just a really, really tough time. And I didn't know if or when I'd get better. Um, and that, that was probably the scary thing in the timeline. There was no timeline on how long it would be until I was better. And obviously then I, you know, I couldn't go to training, um, couldn't go to – obviously school started back. I couldn't go to school. Um, and it, you know, impacted my whole my whole life. Um, you know, I, I didn't exercise. I didn't, I didn't run. I didn't train for eight weeks. Um, and it wasn't until I got into the neurologist and the neurophysio that – you know, we really started with the recovery process and, and I actually saw improvements, but that was, you know, three or four weeks down the track of, of feeling pretty pretty hopeless and helpless. So, yeah, it was a really, really tough time and um, obviously I don't want anyone ever to go through that and I think for me my biggest thing is that, you know, to it's okay to talk about it. It's an injury. It's you know, Clearly it doesn't have um, – I don't, didn't have crutches or I didn't have, a you know, some plaster over my leg, but it's, it's an injury that, that people get. Um, that they're going to continue to get and, and it's really important to talk about and um, clearly there's for everyone it's really different as well um, so there's, there's no you know that you've got to have a b and c symptoms um, and yeah it's just one of those things that really knocked me about and I realized pretty quickly that all I wanted to do was get back ready for round one and then all I wanted to do was get back ready for round two and it just wasn't going to happen and when I finally realized and, and you know sort of came to the fact that Woody's probably not the priority right now, but my health is, and um, yeah, it was it was tough. Can you talk about that recovery process with the neuropsychologist and I guess the exercises and mental exercises we're obviously talking about that he wanted you to do to try and get your mind back on the road to some form of recovery? Yeah, so was, um, yeah, so it was a neurologist and then the neurophysio. So the neurophysio was fantastic and. Yeah. She had all different exercises for yeah a lot a lot was to do with my vestibular system um, and a lot of eye tracking things um, that you know that you'd think are really simple things yet um, they really pushed me and challenged me and and you know it was about pushing them to to I started to get a headache but then obviously obviously backing off but then trying again the next day and trying to continue to push it because when you don't do something you know, when I didn't do anything for, for three weeks and obviously that's what I'm used to. It's like you stop running for three weeks or you, the next time you run, it's going to be pretty hard. So, um, you know, fantastic. You know, the, the people in that field are absolutely fantastic and I was really, really lucky to have the support that I did. Um, and I had a whole panel of, you know, sort of health experts working on getting me right, which again, you know, super, super thankful for because if this happened when I was playing for the Bendigo Thunder, you know, who knows how long it would have taken before I could get in to see professionals like that. So, um, you know, still I'm still doing my exercises with my neurophysios. Um, I'm definitely not out of the woods yet, but I've definitely um, turned a corner and it's it's really, really nice just to go for a jog and little things that you take for granted. You know, I, I spoke to the girls um, during it. I just said, you know, don't take for granted, even just a warm-up. Like what I'd give to just participate with you girls in the warm-up, you know, something that you just think, oh, here we go again, the warm-up, you know, it's pretty monotonous, um, you know, what I wouldn't give to just to run out with them again and, and participate in the warm-up with the girls. Um, yeah. Let's talk about 
something a little more positive, the leadership group. You managed to be named vice-captain at one stage of the Pies. Uh, what's it like being in that leadership group at the Magpies under uh, the tutelage, of course, of your captain, Steph Kiochi? Yeah, obviously a couple of years as vice captain, which was which was fantastic to um, you know to help lead and and foster and you know we had a, we had a young um, group especially last year um, you know when you when you're not having success it can be it can be tough at times and there's some pretty hard questions asked of you and you're trying to do everything you can to to have success but um, obviously the Collingwood Football Club is a pretty an amazing you know sporting club and with an amazing history. So, you know, to be named vice captain of, of something like that, it was, you know, yeah, really, really, um, it was an honour. Um, Toch is obviously a great captain and um, does, you know, an amazing amount of work um, both on and off the field. And, yeah, as I said, um, we had a fantastic leadership group um, and we and we continued to do at Collingwood. So definitely not one or two people um, driving that, but, um, and we even talked to the girls, and everyone's a leader in their own right. Um, so, yeah, it, t- it takes 30 girls to have success, and that's why, you, as a leadership group, you've got to try and push them along. You did also play under Steph at one other club outside of Collingwood. You played at Diamond Creek for a year in 2017, a bit of a special year as well, not only making the grand final, which was the first ever VFLW grand final to be shown uh, on free-to-air television, but also in that year you played alongside some under-18 kid called Chloe Malloy. Yeah, I did. Um, Again, that was, you know, obviously I was pretty keen to play back at Bendigo Thunder, but you know, having speaking with um, the, the Collingwood and obviously some of the girls from Bendigo at Carlton, they sort of said it'd be great to continue to play at a high level. And um, Diamond Creek and Scotty Gowans are really good at, in, in you know sort of welcoming us with their open arms and us coming down to, to Diamond Creek a couple of times a week and training with them and playing at that you know sort of that next level. So yeah, obviously I met Chloe um, early on in the in the year of 2018. 2017, 2017, and um, yeah, fantastic kid. One of one of my best mates at Collingwood, who I, you know, absolutely just love watching play. Um, you know, she's 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 not only a fantastic footballer, but she's an even even better person. Who, um, yeah, I just I look forward to sitting back next year and watching on the tally, and um, obviously we'll keep in contact with her. But you know, what she can do on the footy field is is truly remarkable, and um, yeah, I look forward to her dominating for for the next five ten years. And how was it like uh, being involved in that Creekers culture for a year up there at Diamond Creek? There's certainly a different bunch. Yeah, I was going to say, it's very different, mate. Um, it, was, it was fantastic. As I said, the girls were, were great in, in welcoming us, these, this carload of girls from Bendigo. And, um, you know, obviously we had a bit of success there in getting to the grand final. Obviously, we didn't quite get the chocolates over Darabin. But, um, you know, I learned a lot. Um, footy-wise, but obviously, you know, they, they love to have a party and love to um, enjoy themselves off the field too. So, it was a, yeah, it was a really enjoyable um, year and, yeah, something that, um, yeah, it was uh, something that, uh, you know, I look back very fondly at my time at Dino. And uh, one player also just quickly worth mentioning out of that Diamond Creek side, who, like yourself, was playing their one and only year there at Diamond Creek, was Ash Riddell. It was that year that she made the 2017 VFLW Team of the Year but then didn't get picked up in the draft. Um, are a few clubs regretting that now after the year that she's had with North Melbourne, Tasmania? Yeah, absolutely. It doesn't surprise me at all. Like she just she worked her she worked her bottom off to 
to get to where she is now. Um, obviously, Scotty, Scotty saw it and obviously got her over to the ruse. But, um, yeah, as you said, she um, you know, had a really, really good year that year with Diamond Creek making team of the year and was really, really stiff not to get drafted. But, um, you know, put her bum down, um, head down, bum up and worked really, really hard again for 2018 and obviously got, got drafted and is, um, it's all paying off now. She's a fantastic footballer and, um, yeah, again, look forward to watching her in the future. You, you talk about um, uh, the coaches there for me because you mentioned Scott Gowan's name. Uh, can you talk about the differences about some of the coaches that have coached you? Of course, uh, Sherry O'Neill at Bendigo Thunder. You were under Wayne Siegman for three years and then one year with Scott Gowans. And, of course, Wayne and Scott were buddies because they used to coach Metro and Country under 18 skills. And then um, just recently, the time that you've had under Stephen Simons. Yeah, I think, you know, every coach has um, similarities and differences, obviously, um, you know, Wayne was, was really articulate, really um, organised, um, very thorough in what he did, you know, really great with his relationships. Um, Scotty had a, you know, a different way of, of um, teaching and, you know, again, he was really, really good high on his, you know, relationships was really high on his agenda and, um, you know, would get involved in, in, in the drills and stuff at Diamond Creek, I'll remember. Um, and, you know, Steve, you know, has come from um, South Australia, um, has, you know, a different way about with going about it. And um, obviously the, the girls have responded really well to that at Collingwood. Um, Sheree O'Neill, as you mentioned, at Benigo Thunder, she, um, she's actually the, the country under-18 coach that will be coaching against each other uh, this year, which is, which, is, which is, you know, full circle there. But again, you know, as, as a female, like I think it's great to see more females in coaching. She coached the, um, she was part of the Benigo Pioneers program and, um, you know, I think for me, like, you know, coach, like relationships and rapport with your players have to be your number one. Um, and, you know, the organization and, and, you know, you've got to be pretty articulate about what you, what you, what you're doing and what you're saying and what you want to get out of things. But, you know, I've had fantastic coaches over the years, um, who I've learned lots from and, you know, lots of things to do, but a couple of things probably what not to do as well. So I think that experience will hopefully, um, have me in good stead for the future. Let's talk about the decision leading up to the retirement before the COVID-19 situation hit. Collingwood were, were bobbing back and forth with Carlton for that third spot in, in the conference to try and qualify for finals. It was an, an exciting race. We got down to the business end of the season. I know I'm talking hypotheticals here, but there was there a consideration if the season was playing out properly of, of at least coming back for, for one more game? Oh, I would have, I would have loved to, but sort of, um, you know, the medicos ruled that out, um, you know, probably a few weeks ago now that there was just, there was no way. Like obviously with the conditioning and, and whatnot that you need at this level, um, you know, sure I could have started to run around and kick a footy, but, you know, the conditioning that I would have lost, um, in the past eight weeks, you know, would have gone out there and probably done a hamstring, mate. So, um, as much as I would have loved to have, you know, played one more game and, you know, really going out on my own terms. Um, there, was, there was no way that I was, I was going to get up again this season. Can you talk about that decision? How long was it stewing in your mind for and, and ultimately what made you, I guess, come to ease with the decision of it's time to hang up the boots? Yeah, I guess, you know, I'm you know, 30, turning 31, so I know that You're still you know, young. I'm, You're still I'm young. on the wrong side of 30. But, yeah, I'm, I'm still young enough that... Um, I guess just with this concussion, it just it just opened my eyes to you know the big picture and that 
I guess, you know, if you'd ask, you know, we're talking this time last year, you know, footy, footy's everything, footy's life. I do everything for footy. But um, once your health compromise and you realise that, um, you know, your brain's a pretty important organ of your body and um, there's bigger things out there, your health's number one, that I, I soon, you know, sort of thought that if I put myself in that position again and, and you know, was to suffer another concussion and feel the way I, the, the way I have for the last two months, like there's just, I just, don't want to put myself in that position. The only way for me not to put myself in that position is is not to play football. So, um, you know, initially, you know, I, when you know people talk about, it, I didn't want to talk about it, and you know, but in the back of my mind, I was always thinking, you know, I think I reckon this is it because there's just no way I want to feel like this. Um, you know, there was scary moments. I didn't know if I was ever going to be better. I didn't know if or when or how it was ever going to be back to my normal self, and that was really really scary and something that I never ever want to want to feel again so you know I think there's you know there's different ways to be part of footy and that's that's the brilliant thing about the game is that you can you can have different roles um obviously not on field and and you know obviously I love that and I would love to continue to play but um where I'm at where I am and obviously my priorities have sort of shifted and I just don't think that um you know playing is probably the best thing for me right now how'd you break the news to the group yeah, so obviously um, COVID sort of taking over and our season sort of um, ending abruptly. Um, obviously, the girls the girls lost um, at Vic Park and we oh, – sorry, not at Vic Park, but Icon Park, and we weren't allowed to go there. We weren't allowed to be there with, um, with all the restrictions. So um, sort of I, you know, obviously been thinking about it and I thought, well, you know, season's done, season's done, so we're, we're going to be having um, – exit meetings and exit medicals and, you know, they're sort of going to wrap up the season pretty quickly. We won't be having a presentation night or anything like that. So I wasn't, I wasn't going to get the girls together because we, we weren't allowed to. So obviously I had to do it over um, over our Facebook Messenger group. And, you know, I just obviously wanted to let them know first before I'd sort of let anyone else know. Obviously I let the powers at the club be, let them know. Obviously my family knew. And then obviously I posted out on social media. But, um, you know, that was supportive. They understood. They knew what I'd what I'd been through, they'd sort of ridden the way with me and were, yeah, super supportive. And, um, you know, the, the the messages and the calls and the, you know, responses I got once I posted it on social media was, you know, I didn't, you know, sort of blew my mind. And, you know, hearing from, you know, boys that I played with at Gisborne in the under 12, you know, under 10s and, you know, girls that I played at Benio Thunder and coaches and, you know, it was, it was lovely and, you know, I think, um, you know, that, that little chapter of the book closes and, you know, the next one opens. So I'm excited for what the future holds. Is that, I guess, probably the most rotten part about the COVID-19 situation? It affects you. It affects the likes of Melissa Hickey with a long career, of course, retiring from Geelong, Lawrence Sierra, long career at Eastern Devils, of course, with the Pies now retiring from Richmond and uh, a number of others. Is that you haven't been able to either A, play one more game, B, if you couldn't play that game, at least have uh, be walked off and be given the round of applause by the team and C, uh, to quote Daniel Andrews, get on the beers with the team to, uh, I guess, uh, see off in style and uh, celebrate a, a career that was. Yeah, I think like I, I think that'll happen in due course. You know, I sort of heard from Jane Woodland Thompson, the GM of Collingwood Women's Sport. She said, you know, we'll, we'll, don't worry, we'll we'll, we'll be um, celebrating your granny like your retirement when, when we can. So, you know, I think I look forward to the you know having having a drink with the girls and sort of reminiscing on on the past four years, but. You know, right now it's not a priority in anyone's lives, and that's fair enough. We, you know, we need to try and get through this and get through this safely without 
too many of our loved ones or, um, you know, even Victorians or Australians obviously dying. So right now it's a, it's a really low priority, but I do look forward to, um, yeah, getting on the ciders and, and, and enjoying one with the, with the teammates, um, past and present. Before we quickly talk about the future, I do want to ask, looking back over your women's football career, and this can include AFLW or outside AFLW, who was the toughest player you ever went up against? That's a good question, mate. Um, toughest player I ever went up against? Probably Jamie Lambert. Um, played on her when I was playing for Collingwood when she was at the Bulldogs, and I got the chocolates over her, which she doesn't like to admit, but she, she does admit it. Um, but even in training at Collingwood, you know, if I could, I'll pick her because I knew it was going to be tough. Um, she's an absolute animal. Like, she's phenomenal at the game and has only gotten better and better since she's been at the Pies. And, um, you know, I rate the work she does off, off the field, um, but also what she does on the field. So, Jamie Lambert. Across any level, the most underrated teammate... Oof, most underrated teammate. That's a really good question too. Um, who just goes about their business and just does it? Yeah, probably Lauren Butler, um, the whiz at Collingwood. She's she, you know, she well, she's just hitting her straps. You know, she, again for the next five or ten years, I look forward to watching her do her thing. She just plays her role without any sort of. Um, you know, highlight reels or anything like that. But um, I think she's one of those who will just continue to play a role, be underrated, but, you know, the coaches are just going to love her because she's just going to do that job every week. I'll exclude your wife out of this one, Leah, but the teammate you probably most leaned on, as in for outside of football, just to shoot the breeze with, or, you know, when you're having a tough one that you, that you turn to for advice or just comfort. Yeah, probably Josh Kennedy. Um, obviously, Bendigo Thunder days, Diamond Creek days, and then you know, obviously she was at Carlton in the first in the first year of AFLW, um, and continue. You know, obviously Captain Richmond in the VFL, so she knows what it's like to, to play at the highest level. And um, you know, even now, um, obviously, really really close mates, and um, you know, she continues to to give me really good advice, feedback, guidance. Um, who you know, so I you know, super thanks for that and. Um, I've leaned on her quite a bit in the last uh, few years. The funniest teammate or the biggest pest? Oh, funniest teammate, the biggest pest. Well, would be Ruby, Ruby Slicer uh, from Collingwood. She probably fits in both those uh, categories. She's pretty funny, but she's a pain in the uh, behind as well. <laughs> and out of all the AFLW footballers... In your mind, who is the GOAT? Oh, the GOAT. Um, Daisy Pearce. Like, you know, to play with her at Melbourne was, you know, a bit of a dream come true. Um, you know, she obviously has, has sort of done everything. Um, I love the way she goes about it. She's done it for such a long time. You know, obviously, Aaron Phillips is an amazing player, but probably just hasn't had that impact on women's footy that Daisy's had and for Daisy to come back from twins is just like just crazy so definitely Daisy 
And finally, just quickly looking towards the future, we'll start on media and then just quickly on coaching. But for media, you actually did a bit of work with Triple M Bendigo on their Saturday morning show being on the air. Do you hope to have a role in the AFLW media as you now go into your post-playing career? Uh, with the sports, I don't reckon media is really my thing. I did really enjoy that Triple M uh, radio up in Bendigo. Um, I mean, you never know, never say never. Um, but I think um, definitely got a face for radio. Probably won't be a wouldn't mind maybe a little bit of commentating, but oh, it's a little bit um, a little bit too much pressure, I reckon. And to coaching, we know that you'll be looking forward to coaching the Vic Metro under 18s girls. Um, if there is a championships this year, everything obviously up in the air with with COVID nineteen. But um, hopefully, they'll no doubt roll on your contract should things have to be postponed by a year. Um, but outside of um, the under-18s commitments, where do you hope next your coaching road will take you? Yeah, I'm not really sure, to be honest. Obviously, you know, a couple of opportunities have come by and, you know, it's whether or not, you know, footy, you know, it's a lot of commitment. Um, and, you know, one of, the, one of the reasons to retire is to spend more time with my wife and not have to be out sort of every second night to who knows what time. So, um, you know, the under-18 Big Metro program, you know, sits really nicely with, you know, it's um, short and sharp. Um, you know, it's a, it's a really well-structured program where, you know, it's not too much of a commitment for too long. Obviously, there's a lot, a lot of work goes into it. But, yeah, look, I, I think for me, it's just about taking opportunities when they arise, when they fit. Don't just take everything just because it's, it's there and it's being offered. But, um, you know, I look forward to seeing where, the, where my coaching takes me. And one last question before we let you go, as we ask everyone who's had the honour of playing at the highest level, what does it mean to you when you sit down at the computer, you type your name into Google, and it appears Emma Grant, AFLW footballer? Yeah, it's sort of still hard to comprehend, to be honest. You know, as a little girl growing up and wanting to play uh, with the boy with the with the AFL men in the in the Bulldogs to you know to get drafted to a, to an AFL club was just an absolute dream come true. Um, but for me, the biggest thing is that you know little girls now growing up don't have to stop footy like I did. They don't have, they can continue to play from most kick all the way through to to senior women's, um, which is just you know I I just wonder why it took this long. Um, and you know I think. Little boys growing up, little girls, they don't, doesn't matter what the, who they are, you know, um, they can, you know, inspire to be whatever they want to be. And, um, you know, I, I just hope that this COVID doesn't, doesn't, you know, take too much, um, damage on the AFL industry and that we can continue to build, uh, AFLW and, and the pathways below that to, um, you know, to keep fostering what, what's already been pretty amazing and, you know, for all, even all the you know the, the local competitions in the country in the in the metro areas, obviously they're all just booming, and I think it's just fantastic that so many young girls and women can can play the game they love. Again, Emma, congratulations once again on all the achievements that you've had throughout the career from the premierships to playing in numerous grand finals of EWFL, Premier Division, Best and Ferris, representative honours, playing at the highest level and the crowning achievement of beating Jamie Lambert one-on-one. Emma Grant, thanks very much for joining us here at the Women's Australian Rules Football Podcast. Perfect. Thanks, Pete. Appreciate it.
Emma has been a tremendous supporter of not only our podcast, but our football broadcast and former work that we did on the Old Girls Play Footy website. And we thank Emma once again for being so very generous with her time. On the other side of the break, we're going to be catching up with the GB Swans coach, Ian Mitchell, to talk about the postponement of the International Cup from this year to 2021. We are the Australian Literacy and Numeracy Foundation, striving to empower our most marginalised communities through literacy and education. Literacy is having a voice. Literacy is opportunity. Literacy is dreaming big. Literacy is freedom. Today, you can help end inequality and give every child access to our life-changing and proven literacy programs. Your support is vital. Donate now at alnf.org. And now on the Women's Australian Rules Football Podcast on RSN Carnival, it's time to head over to the UK. We heard from uh, the USA and Ireland last week about how their plans have been put on hold during the COVID-19 situation. Let's find out what's happening in the UK because they were also preparing for the 2020 version of the International Cup, which has now been postponed by a year. We've got on the line the head coach of the GB Swans. It's great to have Ian Mitchell on the line. Ian, how are you? Hi, Peter. I'm good, thank you. How are you? Not too bad at all. And as we begin, I believe that you've actually had to go into isolation yourself. Yeah, I'm in the middle of a two-week spell of isolation with my little boy and my wife. Um, started showing symptoms just for the weekend. So, yeah, work work finished, came out of school. And, uh, yeah, off for the next couple of weeks now. So it will subside, hopefully for me personally, and then we'll see where we're at. I guess uh, looking from a selfish footy point of view, uh, we could say you now have two weeks worth to plan for the GP Swans and the now uh, 2021 campaign for the International Cup. Exactly. I was messaging the girls exactly to that effect at the weekend, saying I've been a little bit off the radar with work being really busy, having to try and rearrange the school. Uh, and then obviously being ill myself. So, yeah, I should have a couple of weeks of uh, straight at it now, no work. Um, just entertaining the little boy a little bit. I'll be uh, full steam ahead, really, for preparations and videos, videos and things like that. So I'm looking forward to it. Let's talk about that. And before we obviously look at the squad leading up to what was going to be the 2020 version of the International Cup, but let's pause. Where were you at at this moment? You were in March. We were four months away from you being in Australia to take part in the International Cup. Where was the squad, the training and all the preparation at? And now, obviously, what are you trying to do as you've now got to stretch things out over a further 12 months? Yeah, squad was finalised. So all the, all the ladies knew who was, who was picked and who was coming. Um, we had a series of training dates in up until, right up until the end of July, uh, a couple of scrap matches, um, and yeah, we had kind of a regular, kind of weekly um, videos being sent out in terms of video analysis of ourselves, of our potential opponents, of areas of thing, uh, areas of play that we do exceptionally well, and some things that we'd like to work on before July. So we were kind of building a bit of head of steam, really, in terms of that and getting some of the girls uh, who maybe didn't know each other before to, to kind of get to know each other kind of online um, through different kind of mediums of social media. Um, and then, yeah, all kind of grounds the halt pretty pretty quickly. Um, and we're, yeah, at the moment, we're just kind of reevaluating because we don't know what, if any, football will be played this calendar year. Um, in terms of our preparations, will we pick the same squad? Will we maybe mix it up a little bit? Because, you know, another 12 months down the line, potentially brings different people available or different people unavailable as well. So we're, we're kind of a little bit in limbo in that respect, but it's great that we have, we obviously know the location a bit further in advance than we did for 2020. 
and obviously the, the rough dates are going to be the same. I'm, I'm assuming from what I've seen from July and August. So, um, yeah, we're kind of waiting to see where we're at in terms of being able to get together again, kind of physically. Otherwise, it'll be a case of doing things online. Some, uh, you know, some of these different mediums that popped up in terms of uh, social communication in these strange times. And uh, we'll get some videos popping around the groups and things like that again, just generate some discussion at this point. There's some strange planning that comes into that, and I was interested to gather your thoughts, if it was obviously still going ahead this uh, July. Um, beforehand in June was going to be the Euro Cup, which is the nine-a-side tournament. Was the thinking then that some of the GB Swans players were going to play in the Euro Cup, or they were going to sit it out, A, to possibly avoid injury, and B, to maybe let some of the, what I call the development-type players, instead play for England and Scotland? Yeah, I think we'd have probably used it as a bit of a mix of both. We had a couple of girls who were hoping to come to Australia who were probably on their way back up for an injury, so they might have used it for some valuable game time at, at you know, a slightly higher level than what they might get for their club. But then we'd also look to balance some girls who maybe haven't had much of a break from football at all in the last 18 months and maybe have those couple of weeks off um, to be able to be fresh for July. So we were kind of using it as a bit of a, a balancing act, really. Um, I mean, working closely with as many of those um, nine aside nations as possible, obviously England, Wales, Scotland, that, that comprise the GB Swans. So, yeah, we've, we, it was going to be an interesting tournament for us in that we probably wouldn't have had all of our ladies playing, but some of them would have been great to get a, another extra look at or, you know, see their exposure to higher quality football, albeit nine aside. Um, but then, like I say, some of the girls would have um, probably missed out and given their bodies a little bit of a rest to be as fresh as possible come July. Well, you do actually get possibly an extra look at it because um, at the moment the Euro Cup has been postponed. I believe they're looking at a possible October date of that getting underway again should the COVID-19 situation clear by then? Yeah, I believe they're hoping to pencil it in before the end of the year, but as you say, kind of nothing concrete can be can be done at this point. Um, but that would be really useful for us to be able to see some of our, uh, like you say, some of the developing players really emerge into the nine-a-side game and see them up against Europe best. That would be really useful for us. We'll come back to talking about 2021 in a moment, but let's rewind a bit. Obviously, you played in the European Championships uh, last year against uh, Germany and Ireland. The squad finished uh, third for the tournament on percentage uh, to the German Eagles. Ireland obviously taking it out quite comfortably. Um, how does the squad um, look similar or differ compared to what played in London to what was planned to be playing in Maroochydore? So in terms of uh, the comparison between the two squads, there's some similarities. There's some girls who, who would have missed out following the European Championships, uh, not not selected to the inside. So um, Rafi, who actually lives in Melbourne, she, she came over for the European. She was going to be uh, in, a, in our squad for in Maruchidor. She's going to be part of our leadership group. So there's some consistency as well. Um, we, we took some positives out of the Europeans. Um, we, we, we also obviously took some areas to develop because the Irish were so dominant, so strong. And Germany were really, really uh, breath of fresh air, really, for the European ladies' football scene. They, were, they came on, um, you know, their first time at full, full ground, and they're really competitive, really well organised, really nice, clean, efficient skills. So it was, um, it was a good learning curve for some, of, for some of our girls who hadn't played at that level before. 
Looking back at that uh, tournament, uh, what did you spot out of the Irish that obviously concerned you that you've got to try and stop when you get to um, IC 2021, as it will be now? Um, because you'd beaten the Irish three years prior before that, and which was set up a lot of confidence for GB, and you end up finishing third in your first ever International Cup in 2017. What do you identify has been the gap that's opened up that you've got to try and find a way to try and close? I think in terms of you look at the Irish ladies and the, the, the kind of the strength and depth that they have in terms of um, the transferable skills from, from Gaelic, uh, their, their dominance in the air is, is, is a massive thing, I think, in the ladies' game. Their willingness to, to kind of compete airily um, and, and come out with the ball as well. And just the, the, the probably the general overall fitness levels in terms of the girls who've transferred across from, from Gaelic football. And I know the, the, the Irish... The Irish kind of coaching staff over there have worked really hard to recruit more girls, and you know, it's hugely paid dividends for them. Because um, I think those, those the fitness levels that they display and kind of you know always running in that, in their, their their style of football um, really kind of sets them as we saw in in, in, all, in October. Sorry, um, you know, kind of sets them head and shoulders above above anyone else, certainly in Europe. So it would have been interesting to see how they go um, in July. But obviously, this will be next July now, so. Let's talk about the quality of players that you've got on your side in the leagues that they're coming from. We know that the backbone, of course, is the AFL London Women's League who get to play 18 a side more regularly. But what has the quality of football been like? For example, running throughout uh, your winter has been the National University League. Obviously, there's now the Scottish-Australian Rules Football League Women's Competition, which is a four-team competition. Uh, you've got uh, independent sides like um, I bring up uh, the likes of Nottingham, for example, and Cardiff. Um what has their quality of play been like, obviously, to raise the standard of their players to be considered along the level of the AFL London players? Yeah, the, the university is a really interesting one because that allows the, the British girls who are kind of up and coming to play against um, play against and alongside Australian girls who might have been playing at home for quite a while. So that's been really useful for us, I think, to see some of our ladies develop in and alongside that competition. Uh, it's been a really good string to AFL England's bow that they've added uh, in the last last couple of seasons um, Nottingham as you mentioned is kind of ever present in the, the ladies football scene and they've been really really busy really um, recruiting really hard and they've got a good experienced couple of coaches there Laura I know you know um, they've been really hard alongside other clubs to try and develop the ladies game which is really really important for us in this country um, the Scottish League looking really really promising I know for instance West Lothian are uh, making huge strides in terms of uh, numbers, but also the ability of the players they're developing. You know, they're taking players from school age and teaching them the game quite young, which for me is probably the best way that we can develop the game in this country in terms of getting the skills into the to the when they're children and when they're really able to learn the game fully and encompass themselves in it. So. Let's talk about the development of uh, the British players in Australia. Uh, obviously, leaving aside Ireland, for example, because they've had players that play semi-professional in the AFLW in Australia and all of that. We've seen, for example, the US have had a couple of players off their own dime have moved down here. Some have obviously moved back now because of the COVID-19 situation, but their, their idea was to move out early, spend some time in Darwin, then come down to Melbourne build up their skills leading into what was going to be IC 2020. You've talked about Rafi Jones, who, of course, is playing at Bulleen Templestowe down here. Frankie Hocking, who, of course, was uh, playing with the Southern Saints in the VFL Dumper 
BFLW competition. Um, how many more British players were looking at coming out early, whether it be a few weeks early or a couple of months early, to get some experience playing in Australia at that level before coming into the IC tournament? Yeah, we had a couple of um, girls. One of the girls, Alex Peel, who played up in she, she played up in Queensland a few years ago. She was planning to head out a little bit early, um, at least maybe get half a season under a belt in Australia again. Um, and we'd lined up a friendly with her with her club as well, um, which would have been really useful. That was at Yoronga. So that would have been really good for us as we we kind of arrived in Australia. Got a girl who's down. She's just been signed on the rookie list for. Um, one of the clubs in the VFLW, I think, uh, Lindsay Clark. She's out playing at the moment uh, in Australia, so hopefully she'll get a good season under about this year if anything, anything happens later on. If not, I'm hoping she'll still be in place next year ready for that. Other than that, we're mainly travelling um, over from the UK. Uh, one one girl's playing out in Asia, playing in Singapore. Grace Verskins playing for the Singapore Wombat. So it would have been um, really good to see her as well kind of an elite swimmer previously so she's bringing some knowledge of elite sports performance to, to the setup which is really positive and how much does <laughs> obviously the delay of the ic 2020 also th- throw in the air the plans that you originally had for 2021 because uh, originally on the schedule you were meant to play the usa in a tournament in 2021 and then back up uh, reciprocal in 2024 Yeah, so um, that's something I think like going out the window now. I can't see America funding a trip over to, to the UK the same year they go to Australia. So um, that's going to definitely take a backward hit. And while I wasn't actually involved in any of the setting up in that, um, I know Phil Martin, the team manager, was kind of instrumental in setting all that up. Uh, I know it's on his radar, um, but I guess it, going forward, it'll depend on what the, the AFL decide to do with the, the following IC. So whether it'll be two years later or whether they'll stick to three years and then or they'll make it a four-year competition I don't know so I guess all future plans are kind of going to revolve around what the AFL do with the IC because ultimately that's a tournament that none of us uh, international uh, community of of football lovers want to miss out on because that's the the kind of the the big thing for us so I guess it's um, we'll wait for the AFL to make their decision and we'll fit our other schedules in, in and around that. You're talking that you're doing a little bit of online chat with, with your GB Swans players. Uh, what have you been trying to do to, I guess, renew focus and keep uh, the morale up? Because no doubt everyone was excited coming into the year. This is the year we're going to the tournament. And now everything's postponed for the year. And, and of course, some are obviously having to spend time at home. What have you been trying to do with all that energy that they've built up? <laughs> to be honest, quite a lot of the girls work for the NHS. So they're, so they're uh, for the National Health Service. So their energy is being well and pulley, well and truly kind of uh, put to good use at the moment, working all kinds of crazy hours and back-to-back shifts and, um, you know, kind of keeping the country going, really, looking after the many thousands of people who are, who are sick at the moment. So a lot of the girls have kind of haven't really probably even had the chance to be that disappointed by it because they're fully thrown in at the deep end at work. Um, other than that, it's been, you know, we, we're keeping a couple of... Uh, tabs in terms of fitness just set a, a monthly 2k challenge for the girls to, to have a go at um, and then we've got some some other bits of development that we're looking at in terms of some kind of self-reflective work in terms of their skills the fitness the knowledge of the game the application of the skills in a game and asking the girls to, to kind of reflect on their own abilities uh, and set themselves some goals and some targets moving forward obviously we, we were doing that anyway for IC20 but now 
uh, it's become IC21. So we're going to look at the, take the positives from that and it's going to give us a whole extra 12 months that, in order to, to improve our, our areas of weakness and to really hone in on our strengths and make sure that we arrive in, in Queensland uh, ready, willing and able to, to take the game to anybody and be prepared to play a brand of football that suits us and will cause problems for anyone we play against. Well, Ian, thank you very much for joining us here at the Women's Australian Rules Football Podcast on RSN Carnival. No doubt at some stage we'll talk a little bit more in depth about the individual players and the stars to look out for. We look forward to hearing from you as we get closer to the new date of the International Cup Tournament. Cheers, Peter. That's great. Yeah, I look forward to speaking to you again. And that concludes the program for yet another week. Don't forget you can hear the Women's Australian Rules Football Podcast on RSN Carnival, that's digital radio in Melbourne, via rsn.net.au and the RSN Racing and Sport app every Wednesday evening from 6pm Melbourne time. And you can also find the podcast on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Spotify, the iHeartRadio website and app and at warfradio.com. Don't forget to follow us on social media, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, just search for WARF Radio. I'm Peter Holden. Until next week, it's bye for now.